0: Hi, this is Willie Bearden, and you're watching Insight on Diddy TV. Tonight, our guests are uh, Paul Duan and Robert Gordon, who have made an incredible film. <laughs> and guys, so welcome. Uh, thank you, for, and thank you for being here tonight. And we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about this this uh, disturbing yet <laughs> wonderful film. Uh, uh, the, the subject of the film is uh, Jerry McGill, who is uh, who was. Kind of came to be known in Memphis uh, back in the 70s, I guess really from the 50s uh, on. He, he had a very checkered past. And, uh, and I think just the fact that you guys uh, found him and followed him around a little bit is pretty amazing. For people who haven't seen the film yet, the film is called Very Extremely Dangerous. And it's out on DVD now and available uh, for purchase uh... online and we'll talk about the website and all that in a minute but uh... Um, tell us a little bit about who jerry mcgill was robert
2: well i first encountered jerry mcgill uh... by name and legend through the memphis producer and musician jim dickinson mm-hmm. who pointed me to at, at the same time i found about, found out about mcgill i found out about these raw tapes shot by william Eggleston in 1973 four and five Mm -hmm. later which later came to be known as stranded in canton and mcgill uh nearly murders someone on camera in this uh art documentary Mm -hmm. which some years later i got to edit with bill and uh and so i encountered mcgill there and i wrote about him in a book called my first book called it came from memphis uh, and, and, and I think probably lots of people
0: watching this have, have read, it came from Memphis. That is the, the, really the insider stories of Memphis music. And, uh, I, I think lots of people know the Elvis Presley story and they know, you know, stacks and things like that. But I, I think you, you really cut some new ground there with, well, that's uh, how I met
2: Paul, Paul, oh, really? I, Paul read, I'll let Paul tell the story, but yeah. I answered my phone one day and uh-huh. Paul was on the other end saying, uh, I'm Paul Dwan from Ireland, and I want to turn your book into a documentary. Oh, really? T-
1: tell about that, Paul. Well, you know, uh, I read the book. Uh, the book is an extraordinary insight into a time and a place and a set of people that are quite remarkable. And uh, it really s- struck a chime with me. And I, you know, I managed through a uh, through, um, local filmmaker, Mike McCarthy here, I managed mm-hmm. to get in touch with, with Robert and had this quixotic idea that maybe I could raise some money to make it a movie that would tell the story of how Memphis music, you know, the the real underground, the underbelly, um, the the untold story of Memphis music. We, We chased that dream for a couple of years, Music documentaries now are quite a, a big deal, and you know, you, you, people can make money out of them. You know, in two thousand two thousand and one, it just wasn't happening. It was impossible to get anybody to to buy into this, particularly since there were no recognizable names in it. And we, yeah. but we had a good time. We filmed some extraordinary stuff, and and we spent some time chasing Jerry McGill because he was the one piece of the jigsaw puzzle that we couldn't put our finger on. Right. It turned out the reason we couldn't find him was because he was serving um, seven eight years in uh, in Florida State Penitentiary for uh, attempted. But that's not why we couldn't find him. It was
2: because he was serving that time under an alias. <laughs> so so <laughs> he had an assumed
0: name but was serving time under he was arrested and was serving time under that assumed under name. Under the name
1: Billy Thurman.
2: Billy Thurman. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> pretty was, strong. That's pretty was, bold. He was being dismissed from a Florida prison on the bench, just beyond the the door is freedom. And the Florida screw pushes the Door open and says, Thurman, who's Jerry McGill? This is a story that Jerry told us. And Jerry said, oh, didn't miss a beat. Oh, that's my BMI name. That's the name I write songs under. Okay, Thurman, you can go. Incredible. (laughs) Incredible. But
0: certainly believable. Uh, The man, uh, as you see throughout the film, uh, he doesn't bat an eye. To He's, lie or to do or to do anything, right? It it, it it's a it's a really incredible, uh, you know. His his reactions are incredible.
2: One one key piece of information we haven't presented in the background here of McGill, which we should get up front, is that he was a Sun Records recording artist. Right in 1959, um, actually through the disc jockey George Klein, mm-hmm. he was brought. George heard him on a uh, at a campfire across the river. In Memphis, in Arkansas, across the river from Memphis, said, "Oh, you know, you want to record Jerry?" Nineteen-year-olds like, "Yeah, I want to record." <laughs> yeah. Brought him to Sam Phillips and cut a cut a single at Sun. Uh, love struck. Love struck, and
1: uh, I want to make, make sweet, sweet love. love. Uh-huh. Not, it's it's not a great record. It's an okay record. Yeah. Um, it's and but Jerry's band, apparently at the time, were the hottest band in Memphis. And oh, really? uh, well, Dickinson said that you know. What was it you say about them beating beating up his band?
3: Yeah, it's like
2: uh,
1: McGill could have have at
2: any time. They were the two rival bands: Jim Dickinson's band and Jerry McGill's band. And and McGill could have easily taken the crown by stealing Dickinson's equipment at any point in time. (laughs) But he took it as a sign of respect that he didn't. Wow. Wow. Well, and let's 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 kind of stop right there for a
0: second, and let's talk about the recording scene and and what the music scene was like in Memphis in 1959 and what Sam Phillips was doing at this time
2: well for the details on what Sam was doing in 1959 we'll have to look forward to Peter Guralnik's forthcoming biography right. but in, in the broadest sense mm-hmm. um Sun Records had kind of peaked mm-hmm. and i think in i think the uh i think that like Jerry's record is rockabilly influenced um there's still so there's still some rockabilly going on mm-hmm. but there's also they're trying to they know that they've got to change and evolve right. and jerry's record features a saxophone i think it's a baritone sax i'm uh-huh. not sure but you know they're, they're they're trying to mix it up and create figure out where's the sound going right. sam from what like 50 Two or three or four mm-hmm. through '58 has you know really captured the zeitgeist of the nation and the world. Right, right. And uh, and then Jerry's come along just a, a little later. But but yeah. but unlike today, yeah. you know the recording artists were not, or unlike then in Memphis, the recording artists were not your college-educated alternative rock right. kind of people. They were truck drivers. Uh, Jerry, I don't don't know that he had a day gig to speak he of. He sold flowers. That's right. His he his parents were were had a nursery, a
1: flower nursery. Oh, really. He, Sold flowers. From a very early age. He was going into the bars and selling bouquets of flowers. That's how he learned to be a con man. He learned to spot when people, you know, he'd he'd figure out a couple who were dating and go, okay, that guy's going to buy flowers. I'm going to embarrass him into buying flowers for his girl. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from like seven, eight years old, he was in these bars and clubs figuring out how to work people.
2: Incredible. (laughs) Incredible. And you see that in his, you know, those talents that he learned in the early days uh, stayed with him all all his life. Mm -hmm. Very charming guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where did he go to high school? Messick.
3: Tech.
0: Well, Messick well, than tech. Mesick, then tech. Okay, yeah, he went to tech. Sent right. to tech. Yeah, yeah right. As, I as many people as yes. many people did who, who were kind of troublemakers. They, who went on to great rock and roll careers. Exactly. Many of the you know
2: yeah. stacks artists and yeah. other artists around town. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, did he have a troubled childhood?
1: Well, his mother put him on the stage in drag when he was uh, when he was very young. His <laughs> really? first his first stage appearance was dressed as a as a girl singing. Do you remember the song? I don't. I don't know. He told the story. He's he's actually he actually got quite far down the line towards writing his memoirs and there's a whole account, quite a funny account of how it felt to be kind of like, you know, put on stage as a, you know, dressed as a little girl sure. and, and getting all this applause for it. You know, wow. later in his career, he used drag to different effect when he was on the run from the FBI. Uh, but, you know, it was an interest. I don't know. I mean, his father was clearly there was clearly alcoholism in the family. There was clearly problem. There was, it was a problematic childhood. Yeah. You know, it can't have been easy.
0: Well, and, you know, and, and something I did notice in the film, he didn't talk about his past. Well, he Other did. Other people we, talked about his past, we, but, well, I, I didn't yeah. feel, feel that you presented a we, lot of him talking yeah. about his past. I think we deliberately
1: stayed away from that because I it's see. too easy to fall into, because he told a lot of anecdotes. But right. to a degree, we kind of looked at the stuff and we thought the present day, the present moment stuff sure. was spoke for itself. And you didn't really need to hear him telling you about his past. You could yeah. see in, in his face what it had been like. Yeah, you could.
0: <laughs> you really could. He had a, he had a lot of hard years. Yeah. On that face cuz he had been a really good-looking guy. I mean, in in the in the 1973 and 74 films, he's a, he's a great-looking guy. Yeah. And uh and then when you see him then in what was 2009 when you were shooting, mm-hmm.
2: 2010
0: 2010 right yeah there, when yeah. you see him. I mean, he really really looks rough and obviously he was,
2: he was he was ill. Well, I think um, what's amazing is the transformation that occurs t- to him physically from the time we began filming right. to the time we went back—you know—we mm-hmm. filmed for ten weeks, right—and then it was, and then we jumped off the merry-go-round uh-huh. it, while it was while it was revolving at very high speeds. Right. We just fled, yeah. and then a year later we went back and kind of checked in on everybody mm-hmm. and got and, and got an an ending to the film, which was great. Yeah. And yeah. and and and. Uh, and he had gained weight, you know, he was a totally, you wouldn't, if you only saw him, if you only knew him from the beginning,
1: yeah. you wouldn't have recognized him at, at the right. end. We got the before yeah. and after here. We got the, uh, on the, on oh, one yeah. side, you got Jerry as a, uh, in 1973. Right. Uh, and then on the other side we have, oops, <laughs> that's Jerry in 20, 2011. Right. So you can see, yeah, there's a, quite a, yeah, quite a transformation.
0: Quite, quite, quite a, a big change. Uh, I, I kept wondering: Did he have a regular source of income? Was he on Social Security? How did how did he make his way through every day?
2: I think that um, you know you you get three meals in prison. Yeah. And yeah. Beyond that, uh,
1: you, he, what am you, I forgetting? You, you, he worked for the police.
2: Oh yeah. Oh really?
1: He yeah. was
0: Like a paid informer. No, he, no, 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 no. Oh.
1: He was a telephone. So he he he, was, he he worked the telephones, raising money for police charities. Fraternal oh. Order of
0: Police. Yes. We, yes, we've all gotten those. Calls, we've all gotten yes. those calls. Man, yeah. it's
1: and, one of the things we couldn't find room to put into the movie. It's so ironic that after a long career on the other yeah. side of the law, he yeah. finds himself raising money for injured, you know, for charitable donations for the cops. Incredible. Which
2: which, for anybody out there watching, mm-hmm. he told uh, you know, he told us, don't give the money. They really, yeah, 50, yeah. you know, I've always asked, you know, how much goes to you and how much goes, it's 50, 50. It's like, well, that's, you know, but it's not, it's, it's not like 90, 10.
0: Really? Yeah, really. So the, so the solicitors and whoever owns that company, yeah, they get all the money. What
2: they call it, a, a, a phone room or something. Yeah. I'm yeah. About that.
0: <laughs> that's crazy. Wow. Wow. Um, so did he have any children and had he been married uh, numerous times or who knows?
2: Yeah, he'd had several wives. Uh-huh. He had children by different people. Uh-huh. Um, they One was Jerry McGill Jr., uh-huh. who collected Jerry McGill Sr.'s BMI money without Sr.'s knowledge. Really? According to Sr. According to Jerry. Wow. And um, wow. so there was, you know, uh, not... Um, Necessarily warm. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the Brady Bunch, you know. <laughs> sure.
0: Yeah, I, I can imagine. I can imagine with all this. Um, so he he said in the film he had been arrested ninety seven times in Memphis. In, oh, just in Memphis. Yeah. Okay, ninety seven times,
1: and so I, I guess that
0: three strikes you're out thing doesn't matter <laughs>
1: or something. Well, there were there were they would have been just uh, short term, you know, jail. I mean, he'd done three proper penal servitude sentences of seven or eight years and that you know that in uh, state
2: in state penitentiaries. but the memphis stuff was things like uh you know uh anything from public drunkenness you know there was something something and attempting to crawl reckless walking and attempting to crawl
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's great that's great wow Um, when he, got out of, when he got out of prison, well, even before he went to prison, how much did he perform? Did he, did he see himself as a musician always, and did he, say in 1965, was he out there
1: playing in bars and things? Well he was Waylon Jennings' rhythm guitar player that was yeah he oh, was okay. he was in Waylon's band for I don't know when he started but it, certainly up till the mid 70s okay. and Waylon himself in his autobiography says that Jerry's job was as much to do with procuring and uh, carrying bags that may or may not have contained, you know, illicit materials right. as it was to do with playing but, you know, he was a working touring member of Waylon's band, and that was when the drag came in because he was wanted by the FBI at this point as well. Mm-hmm. So he would, he was, it was not unknown for Jerry to turn up for shows dressed as a woman to evade, you know, surveillance by the FBI.
2: There's a well-known or there's a not well-known Mudboy in the Neutrons record called Known Felons in Drag. Uh-huh. And those were that title is taken from McGill shows up at a Mudboy gig, Taps Sid Selvage on the shoulder and says, and, and Sid turns around and Sid's telling, him, he's like, Man, that's the ugliest woman I've ever seen. And 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 McGill speaks from this dress and says, known felons in drag. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. So uh, but I think yes, he saw himself as a musician mm-hmm. all his life. Yeah. Or at least all his adult life. Mm-hmm. Like and 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 the Sun record was Jerry made it sound very casual and accidental the way it happened. Yeah. But I think it was also the re- realization of a dream. Sure, yeah. And and that all his life thereafter, uh-huh. um, certainly when we knew him, you know, he whatever else was going on, in, yeah. in prison he was in the choir. You okay. Know, he sure, always yeah. he kept uh-huh. music as uh-huh. a close part of him, uh-huh. wrote songs. He would be uh-huh. he manically wrote songs while we knew him and he would read I saw lyrics. that
0: in the film. I mean yeah. the, the cancer song and he was just making yeah. things up a yeah. lot. Yeah. And they're and, good. Yeah, they're they great really voice, good, you yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah, they they were solid. And he knew it a bit put haggard across, but yeah,
1: you know, he could put across a song like nobody's business. I mean, yeah. you know, the thing with with Jerry was if you were hanging out with him it was almost impossible to stop him from playing. He would play constantly. But the trouble is, he kind of played crowd-pleasing stuff. He played, you know, every so often he would come out with a song. The song that ends the film, The Reasons Why We're Here, which he wrote, is absolutely beautiful. I only heard it by chance. He happened to play it one night, and, you know, he'd played, you know pretty grim, kind of comedic songs many, many times. But then right. when he played this song, I went, my God, this is a great, great song. Yeah. Um, but he didn't, his quality control wasn't, you know, as with a lot of performers, he didn't quite sure. know what his, which of his stuff was, was great. But when he, when he came out with that song, I thought, my God, you wrote that, that's a, it's a, it's a real song, you know? Wow.
0: All right, so for, for, all, for, all, for all the filmmakers watching this, how, how, how much footage
1: did you shoot of this? Have any idea? it's hard to say we we you know it's a documentary so one of the things with documentary is you shoot a lot and because jerry was always on we were shooting pretty much constantly right. i couldn't really even estimate what you know True. 50 or 60 hours maybe yeah, i don't maybe. know it's the hard end. to say
2: but as an example i took a uh a like 5 hour ride with him from here to i forget how it went but we were in the car for about 5 hours yeah. and um and he would be you know fabulously entertaining and i'm just like behind the camera shooting 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 and then it would be and he would go let's take a break and i'd be like okay great let's take a break and two minutes later the camera's back up because like it never stopped sure it never stopped so how did you initially approach him
0: which one of you initially approached him about doing this
1: he he approached us Really? Well, I had been in touch. The thing is, the whole story is very peculiar about how we got in touch because I was in Dublin. I'd moved, I'd been living in London. I moved back to Dublin, Ireland. And I had left a bunch of, you know, messages on, you know, blog posts about McGill's music, about the Sun record, you know, when we were trying to get it it came from Memphis, mate. And all these years later, this woman, Joyce, got in touch, having seen these messages, and she'd said, you know, I knew Jerry, and I've been contacted by this man who says he's Jerry McGill, and I'm going to, do you want me to put you in touch with him if it is Jerry McGill? And I said, yeah, of course. And then she put me in touch, and I I got a phone call from him, and then I emailed Robert and said, you won't believe I've just been talking on the phone, too. It was insane. <laughs> I totally remember. Because I had looked mm-hmm. for him, you know, twice.
2: R- looked really hard during um, right. the making of stranded in Canton uh-huh. to figure out, you know, everybody got an ending line, you know, yeah. like, this is where they are now. And uh-huh. McGill was just a myth, sure, you know, there yeah. was no way to know. So it was wow. ab- amazing that he appeared. It was amazing that Paul called me and said, McGill's about to call you. I hung up, you know, I talked to McGill. And, and, and someone there, too, he'd sent us
1: short stories that he'd written,
2: which were really? accounts of his escapades. Okay. Uh, legal and illegal, and they were and they were very well written.
1: And then the follow-up is, you know, this this was kind of a curiosity more than anything else, because it was just one of these things. I was in the middle of making a different documentary, and Robert was in the middle of making something else, and, you know, McGill was interesting, and I was on the phone to him, and he was trying to get me to figure out a way to get him to Ireland so he could take advantage of Irish healthcare or something, you know, oh, yeah. going, I've got, you know, I've got an Irish name, surely I can get Irish <laughs> <laughs> So Of course. So I was kind of, you know, we were having phone conversations, but there was no particular end in sight. And then he got uh, a diagnosis of um, cancer, which at the time was considered terminal. Lung cancer. Lung cancer. Yeah. And uh, he, um, Joyce contacted me and said, Jerry wants you to know that he's booked time in Sam Phillips um, in two weekends from now. And he wants to know if he'll come over to film his recording session. He wants to get back into the music business, you know. And to me, this was, ex- it was, this was 2009. Mm-hmm. He had recorded Love Struck in 1959. Right. So it was 50 years after his one and only official release. Yeah. He was attempting as a dying man of 70 to get back into the music business. And I thought, if that isn't a documentary, <laughs> nothing a story, is.
0: Yeah, if, that, that's a story, yeah. That's a story. So
1: sure. I called up Robert and said, look, if I came to Memphis week after next, would you be able to help me put together a small crew? McGill's doing this. And Robert jumped, jumped in and said, this is completely crazy, of course. I mean, yeah. we don't know what we're doing. We've never met the man, but let's try it. Yeah. We spent <clears throat> After the first day we spent with him, I think we were both... Convinced at that point that not only was there that you know we didn't know what the story was going to be, but we knew that there was something really extraordinary and fascinating and charismatic and interesting about this man, and that you know it was it was he was he was clearly trying to overcome his inner demons through music. Right. So we thought, okay, we'll follow this and see where it goes. Yes,
2: Yes, uh, you know all this happens in. A very condensed period of time where, where where Joyce appears and reaches out to Paul, and we both wind up talking to Jerry It's really a matter of days or maybe a couple weeks, right. and the diagnosis is all right there, and mm. uh, we you know we show up at Sun. Actually, we met him the day before this the Phillips recording sessions, right. and uh, interviewed him in a hotel room, and it was the way. He laid bare his soul in yeah. right in the initial. He had said, "Ask me anything. You know, I'll talk about it all." And I had a ton of questions, Paul. Had a ton of, we were yeah. like asking about crimes sure, and stuff. Yeah. And, and he's laying it all out, and he starts to break down and cry, and as he's like de- dealing with his cancer. And um, and it was a, it was the awareness of two things happening. One is, wow, this guy's really laying out his soul. And the other is, are we being conned? Sure, you know, because yeah. we knew his background. So. Yeah. The whole 10 weeks was a dance of always trying to be aware of what might be happening to us as sure. it was happening to us. Subtext. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or not subtext, but the greater text. Sure. We're, oh, we were always looking out for being played. And we got played. Yeah. And it was great. We'd, you know, I, sure. I, I would be played. It was by Jerry again. It was. Yeah. It was fun. Uh,
0: it, it did seem it did seem very honest to me, but I but I wondered how much he played to the camera. I mean, w- w- did did he play to the camera? When you had the camera off, did he still cuss people out like that? That's did what I'm saying,
2: man. Riding in the car for five hours with him, yeah. I put the, it was like, let's take a break. Put yeah. the camera down. And like
1: the show you didn't end. start right but back. I was like, then, yeah. I can't not
2: film this. N- sure. know,
1: the, the only things I regret are the times I had to stop filming. I remember at right. one point I was in the car and we'd just gotten some food and my lap was full of hot coffee and uh-huh. hot food. And both my cameras were at my feet. Uh-huh. And Jerry, I suddenly realized Jerry was on the phone to a doctor's surgery telling them a really convincing story about how he was out of town, his car had been stolen, all of his deluded was in the car and he was suffering from, term- from cancer and he need- needed to get his painkillers and could they write- get him a prescription, you know? And he was... Given this sob story over the phone, I was like, I can't get my camera, (laughs) you know, because he was a brilliant actor. He could put on any, you know, he was, you know, in this case, he didn't actually manage to con this doctor and just writing a prescription because doctors are presumably have been through this before. But, you know, just to see him going (laughs) full scale, you could see why he made so much money on the phone selling those, you know, uh, charitable donations to the police. He He was a very, very, very charming and plausible storyteller. Yeah, He was also very dangerous and
0: how how did that manifest itself while you were with him, while you were both with him? Uh, there was a time when I was fearing for your life <laughs> when it, when he was in the car. you and me both yeah and and that is there 's no way to fake that <laughs> and uh, you know i, I don 't know if Martin Scorsese could 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 do that on screen as well as Jerry did it, and you all just all of your reactions. Uh, for for me, that was worth the price of admission right there. Just that one scene because it was really scary. And uh, how did that happen a lot? I mean, were things like that? Were you were you always kind of hyper
1: vigilant about what he might do? Well, I think both myself and Robert had discussed the possibility that Jerry was, you know looking to go out in a blaze of glory because he was right. he was not the type to you didn't you, you sense that if his term if his cancer diagnosis was going t- pointing him towards a slow and painful death that he would prefer to you know do something a little bit more spectacular and you know we were I was aware that he was we were traveling with him he was armed he was constantly he was armed many times over guns knives whatever and he was a <laughs> three-time you know, felon, He anything yes. that happened, would he was going to go back to jail for life. So you kind of... Right. But I never saw any kind of... I literally, at no point, did I feel he was going to do anything that was... He, he, we, he really liked us. He was very yeah. positive towards us. He was very protective towards us. You know, I didn't think he was going to do anything dangerous towards us, but you always felt that there was danger around him and something could... Ha- he was a very volatile person. Sure. But that trip in the car at the end was... Th- that was the point at which I realized that, you know his 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 craziness had kind of spiraled out of control and w- with or without his intention something bad was going to happen to somebody sure. in the end it was it was him because quite yeah. soon after i finished filming and i decided that we couldn't go on he um he suffered a, a crossbow injury that severed his index finger and then he ended up um uh, locked up by bounty hunters you know two weeks later so I mean it the day
2: before his lung surgery yep. the day before really. he
1: was going into the hospital for cancer surgery yep.
2: bounty hunters showed up at the door and he was hiding in the closet when
1: he realized what was going on they found him and carted him off I mean it's just like un- it's unbelievable, it's unbelievable. And, in, and in prison he was too thin to wear the prison uniform it slid off him so he was like he was naked in a prison cell you know I was literally phoning from Dublin to speak to the warden to go you know try and get some leniency going you know coming up with whatever story I could yeah. they released him and his record was wiped clean <laughs> it was Jerry had some incredible look wow that
0: that's incredible i um when 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 you were pulling off from that service station, uh, yeah, and and he was screaming at somebody, yes. who was just looking at them, gawking, yeah, gawking. right. Just I thought, oh, this is this is too much. Something bad is going to happen because I mean, you know, I mean, we're here in the south. I mean, somebody could have easily everybody's strapped, or a yep. lot of people are down here. Anybody could have that person he was yelling at could have pulled a gun out and mm-hmm. started shooting at your car. Yep. I'll mm-hmm. never
2: forget the first time we screened it. It wasn't the movie wasn't quite done. Mm-hmm. We screened it at the the uh, indie Memphis Film Festival mm-hmm. um, as a sneak screening, and there were some people there. We you know it was a full house because word yeah. got out. And uh, and when it was over and the lights went up and we said, Jerry, come on down. There was a <laughs> gasp in the audience. Really? Like, <gasps> I bet. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. Wow. Wow. Um, and he was, and he charmed every single, there was probably 200 people there. Everybody came out loving him, you know, right. after having experienced this very extremely dangerous experience, yeah. they, Even Jerry himself, yeah. he's just a very like, it's like, yeah. it's like what Joyce says at the end, you know, uh, he's a, he, he grows on you, Yeah.
1: he's a likable guy.
2: Right. There's just
1: this element of danger around him all the time. Yeah, well Joyce, uh, Joyce tended to split him into two there's Jerry McGill, who was the guy she fell in love with, and there's Curtis Buck, who was the guy who's in the music business. Right. And Curtis is the guy you wanted to steer clear of, mm-hmm. but Jerry was the guy you loved.
0: Right. Wow.
1: So, Robert, how did you feel?
0: Were you questioning your involvement uh, when those late night calls came in? Oh, you know, <laughs> just I mean, what, what do you do? I mean, he's in Alabama. He's taken, a what a four hundred dollar cab ride. It's six hundred dollar cab ride yeah. Six hundred dollar <laughs> cab ride. And you were on the hook for it. You mm-hmm. paid for that. And you had to buy them a tire. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, this is, I mean, I, I know it probably sounds
2: incredible to people watching this, but that's all the truth. It all happened. Uh, I that's- got all those calls, fortunately, I didn't hear the phone ring during the night. Right. So the, all those calls came in. I got up in the morning. Yeah. I played the, oh, look, there's calls on the answering machine. I played yeah. the calls like, really? <laughs> wow. And it just kept getting more and more bizarre. <laughs> And then I called them up, and they were still s- stranded on the highway and wherever they were. And uh, he sent me to a place to uh, wire him money. And he said, They'll, you either can give a Social Security number or something, or you, or you can give this code. And he said, he said, you write down that the question is, what color is the dog? And and the and then you write down the answer and I'll give the answer in order to get the money they'll ask me the question and I'll give them the answer. The dog is black. <laughs> it's like, really? What color is the dog? The dog's okay, Jerry. Wow. Uh, I just thought it was so simple, simple wow. question, simple answer. Boom. You know, was, yeah. he had it worked out. Wow. Living on the run. I, yeah. I just,
0: I, I, I think I think his willingness. Or maybe it was maybe it was just his muscle memory that did everything because just like when you said when he said do you want a dog tranquilizer and you said what he said do you want a dog tranquilizer and he had a a pill bottle and I said where'd you get that and he said from a dog yeah (laughs) just like I mean he just didn't miss a beat anywhere he was he was a highly intelligent man yes how I don't know how he. How he maintained that through all the drugs and drinking because in in every scene, he's drinking a beer, he's drinking whiskey, he's smoking pot or smoking something, he is shooting up, he is taking
2: any kind of pill that's available. I had small kids at the time, and at one point he's getting out of the car and he looks
1: down and there's some grape-flavored children's aspirin. He goes, can I have these? <laughs> really? Or those um, those stimulant drinks that you get in in, in, in fuel stations, uh-huh. you know, those uh, little bottles. He drank yeah. those. You know, it was a- everything that you could get that would keep you up, up, up the whole time, you know? Wow.
2: That was his thing. Was uh, It seemed like he was afraid to go to sleep. Yeah. And he would stay up for... There's a scene in the movie where they're in uh, yeah, Florida and... Right. and uh, He's been up for three, Hadn't slept days. for three days. That's yeah. right, yeah. And it's just, you know, it's, he, it's the great opportunity presenting itself a, a recording studio is opening itself right. up to him yes and and jerry talks and tells stories and, and gets arrested three sleep. times in two days yeah right and 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 you know they made good recordings but they but jerry kind of missed the the best of that opportunity yeah due to mm-hmm. smoking dope at the end of the pier and cutting up Mullet mullets. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so so let's talk about Jim Lancaster and his wife. Yeah. They they had known they had known Jerry back in the since, 70s. Back in the 70s. Yeah, they're yeah. in that uh, yeah. s- stranded in Canton together. Yeah. And so they owned a recording studio yeah. and just they had they had gotten back, had they been in touch with him over the years? No. No. Or no. no one knew where he was. Okay. So they just got in touch with him. They owned a recording studio and said, just come on in. We're going to do this for you. This is this is our gift. To you
2: when the sessions went down at Sam Phillips in uh-huh. Memphis um, did those work well I mean what yeah, was the there's general a CD, feeling the, the, the commercial box this is when you hold it yeah. up Paul yeah let's see the commercial <clears> box
0: <throat> very extremely dangerous this is the DVD and as CD. well
2: of, as a CD yeah. that has how many tracks it's got like 25 tracks I wow. think 11 or 12 are Jerry's album, AKA mm-hmm. Jerry McGill, right. and then there's bonus material uh, from the of the uh, of the soundtrack from the from the movie that okay. Jim Lancaster scored. Okay. And and so Lancaster and Jill came up from Florida to be at the uh, you know the the final sessions. What it turned out to be well, they're maybe the final penultimate sessions, whatever. Right. They, they came up. Uh, because I think Jerry, by that point, had gotten in touch with them. Yeah. They were old friends, you know, so he reached out and said, would you come play on my record? By the way, when we showed up, oh, it's in the movie. Yeah. Uh, the the engineer, the great... R- yeah. Roland James. Yeah. Oh. Roland Jane says, you know, I'm preparing for a one... While this studio is filling up with people, he says, right. well, I'm preparing for a one-man, one-guitar <laughs> session, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> like you told me. Right, right. Wow. Wow. Um,
0: so, so those sessions went all right, and then the Lancasters.
2: Uh, Jim Jim took just... the tapes down there to overdub. Okay, uh, because it had been a bit chaotic in the studio, and right. he wanted you know, Lancaster knew that Jerry was a real talent. Yeah, um, like, mm-hmm. Roland did, mm-hmm. and um, and he wanted to turn this into a real record, which he did. Right, and and right. and the record is made up of. Some tracks from those late sessions, Mm. uh, tracks from 1959, tracks from 1970. Two sessions in the 1970s, one with Jim Dickinson, one with Waylon Jennings. Travis Wammock is on a yeah. set Alex, session in that. Alex, Alex Chilton oh. is on back Alex, in vocals. Yeah. Oh, really? Ry Cooter really? is a guest really? appearance. Memphis Horns are in
1: there. Yeah, it's a hell of a it's a hell it, of a lineup. Wow. It's a great
2: record. Oh. For any if, if there happens to be anyone uh-huh. in the listening audience who is a fan of Mudboy and the Neutrons, yeah. maybe their best ever performance is Desperados Waiting for a Train really? backing Jerry Miguel. Yeah. Well I can't wait to hear the soundtrack.
0: Yeah. Uh, so so all right, he goes down to Florida. And where in Florida was this?
1: Niceville. Niceville, Florida, <laughs> right. Okay. That yes. was almost the title of <laughs> yes. uh, McGill goes, goes to, to, to Niceville. Niceville. <laughs> right. a nice town for nice people. So he, he go he
0: goes down there, stays at a friend, at one of their friends' house who's out of town, right? Ed right.
2: Great harmonica player.
0: And kind of trashes the guy's house
2: and no kind of about it man oh even
1: the cleanup was kind of trashing it (laughs) (laughs) really well you see him cleaning the sink with the toilet brush yes it's like at at that point it's like oh god
0: uh he was wearing the guy's clothes (laughs) wearing his pants right and and i think jim lancaster had to then go through his bags as they're packing
2: the car go through the bags and and check to make sure that yeah because jerry had this thing i think lancaster says it in the movie things that Jerry liked Jerry felt belonged to him really yeah yeah i i could see that how did you know was
0: was his um was that attitude that attitude that that sense of empowerment
2: <laughs> was that entitlement but, well yes
0: entitlement yes was that was that put on or no, no. was that no yeah, oh, was it it wasn't. Or what was coach. it? Was it? Did he have some kind of inferiority complex? No. That,
1: no. I don't it, think anything was put on. Do, no, you, do you? No. Jerry was absolutely himself to the bone. He never pretended anything. He yeah. was. I mean, you know, the guy was. Uh, he 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 knew he was talented. Mm-hmm. He knew he was uh, intelligent. He knew he was. You know, attractive. He had spent many years being a. You know, he was a very good-looking man when he was younger. Right. He was. He, he, you know, I, I would I would say, you know, I wouldn't say egotistical because that's, you know, he was very, very sure of himself. Sure. And that yeah. was a very attractive quality. Yeah. The other thing that was attractive and was, uh, you know, made him, um, you know, he would have been unbearable to be around if he had ever been the kind of person that blamed other people for his misfortunes. Right. Jerry never said I went to jail because somebody else did uh-huh. something. He owned up. I did this. I did that. I got caught. I went to jail. I got out. I did another thing. I got caught. I went to jail. You know, he had an enormous, um, you know, sense of he he inhabited himself very well.
0: Sure. And he didn't seem afraid of anybody or anything. No. Except maybe going to sleep. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Sure.
0: So I've got to ask you how (laughs) what in your past got you ready for this? I mean, you're not from around here, you know, and had had you, were
1: you ready for for this crazy Southern person? I think probably the only reason that I was in a position to do this and I was the person kind of, who kind of pushed this forward and, mm-hmm. you know, started sourcing the money to make it and all that was because I'm not from around here and I don't have experience with these kind of people. Right. If I had, had known what Robert knew yeah. or what other people involved, you know, other Memphians who were involved knew, they were wary, and they yeah. were standing back, and I was just jumping in the car and going, Oh yeah, sure, I'll go to I'll go to Alabama with you," because for me it was an adventure, and I grew up watching, you know, cowboy movies, and yeah. you know, and you know, Sam Peckinpah and Jerry. <laughs> Jerry to me was <laughs> you always wanted yeah. to be in a live Sam Peckinpah <laughs> scene. Yeah, yeah, well, I kind of thought, well, Jerry is kind of like the closest thing I've ever met to somebody out of the Wild Bunch or bring sure. the head of Alfredo Garcia or something, yeah. you know, and he was that. And you know the, the lesson I learned it was not—it's not it's not, not, a, not a complicated or a difficult lesson to learn—is that there's nothing particularly fun or entertaining about spending time around an outlaw because <clears throat> you know the outlaw life and the life that Jerry lived is a dangerous one and it's uh, there's a lot of collateral damage. But right. if I'd known before I went into it mm-hmm. all that, I wouldn't have made the film. I wouldn't sure. have gone down that yeah. road. So you yeah. need sometimes you need a little bit of blissful ignorance
2: yeah but but I want to say there was a second lesson there was a another and every bit as important lesson in this movie which we didn't get the lesson until the year later when we went back when we saw Jerry Jerry who seemed what's the word un, who seemed like you couldn't bring him back when we were with him and was irredeemable irredeemable in the movie he's he is so far Outside society's norm, mm-hmm. doing his everyday things—that—that um, that it seemed like he could never, if he'd ever been within the realm, yeah. he could never get back. Right. But, um, but it was truly—and and I think it was his girlfriend Joyce mm-hmm. who. Who knew him when they were like twenty or something, right. and didn't know even as long as they dated, she never knew that he was a singer. Yeah, so she wasn't involved in all this music stuff, uh-huh. and 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 the guy she was trying to uh, let free uh-huh. from within this Curtis Buck guy, uh-huh. she spent she really opened that door, uh-huh. and this other guy, this the real the the you know, original Jerry McGill. By the end, had surfaced, and you see him, and he's like, he's in love with Joyce. He's he's comfortable. He's he's been cut in half because he's had lungs right. surgery, so he's physically slowed. But uh, I feel like um, it was Joyce's uh, the atmosphere that Joyce created around him right. that let this guy come out, and it was yeah. a real lesson in. Judging people, right. and then the power of love. Because, sure. you know,
1: because when you watch the movie, it's very easy to come away with the Im- implication that Joyce was a kind of a, you know, a victim or something of that sort. Mm-hmm. You know, the the relationship was much more complicated than that. And right. Joyce, you know, Joyce is a strong, intelligent, feisty woman, and she managed to her. She was indomitable in sticking with Jerry beyond the point where most people would just have cut him loose. <laughs> lot of her, yeah, and finding what was good in him and yep, that's right. to me that was next we both were amazed by how what we yeah. found when we saw Jerry a year after we'd given up on ever filming with him again sure he was a human being he he'd right. found his humanity again wow redemption yeah, yeah
0: it was wow. unexpected we thought there would be none wow that's that's strong why why didn't Joyce want to be seen on on in the film
1: we don't really know. Yeah. We, it, was, it was a stipulation. It was very difficult to get Joyce to even agree to take part in the film. She really, really? Didn't, did not want to be. Uh-huh. To do
2: that voiceover. And her voiceover really makes yeah. a big difference in the movie. And yes, it does. that all you know, that yeah. all came later in the, in the filming, the year later. Yeah. yeah we, had we not gone back a year later, <laughs> it's hard to imagine what that movie would be. Sure, yeah. But yeah. she tempered it the same way she tempered him. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a good thing for yeah. Jerry and for us. Will we see his likes again? There aren't any more Jerry McGills, no. Yeah, but there's more outlaws. I mean, you know, there's no more Jer- There's no more. That was the great thing was that this guy had been in that era of Sun Records. Yeah. Come from, you know, this guy played. This guy heard about Elvis mm-hmm. when Elvis was, you know, before Elvis was a known quantity. And had him come to, I think, his fourteenth birthday party. Yeah, he really? called, he called El- him
1: up. He called yeah. Elvis's house. It was in the book, so he just, you know, uh-huh. so, you know, you come and play some tunes at my birthday party, and he did. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, this is a different world. This is a world we can't imagine. You know? Yeah. And so yeah. there will
2: never, be, I think, that's uh, you know, Jerry was the one from yeah. that time sure. who yeah. could, who did those things, and we just lucked into knowing him, and it was a. Um, a roller coaster. You know, it was a. Oh, it was a, I mean, def- I
0: loved what Joyce said when when she met Elvis. When they went to Elvis's house, and she said, "You know," and and you know, and he he said that, you know, she didn't really pay much attention to Elvis. She was paying attention to him. Yeah. And that speaks to Joyce a yeah. lot, you know. Yeah. So so maybe, <clears throat> I, I guess maybe, Joyce didn't change. She was that loyal. Kind of person, you know, throughout everything.
1: Well, she sought him out. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. not. It's clear. I think it's pretty clear in the film. You know, she was the one who went looking for Jerry. Yeah. Jerry. When she found Jerry, he was going blind. He had cataracts. Yeah. He had uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. He had. You know, she took him in. She took him to a doctor. She got him fixed up. No wonder. You know, he was. You know, he's he was he was there for. Her. She was she was really really she she knew. Fifty years after they'd last seen each other, there was still some unfinished business between them. And she stayed with him until he died. She was with him at his bedside, and he died surrounded by his loved ones. I mean, you know, not many people get that good look in their final years, do they? Yeah, no, they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> it's a
0: great story. It's a wonderful story. Are there any things that that you wish you had done, or things you could have gotten? I mean, obviously, you you wish you would have had some footage of him from nineteen seventy, you know, one or or some footage,
2: you know, from the mid sixties. I I got one. I I I was Paul and I would kind of take turns shooting. Uh-huh. You know, I'd, I'd go, he'd go, I'd go, he would go. Yeah. Paul was going back and forth. By the way, that that volcano, that volcanic ash, oh yeah, that from was, Iceland from Iceland, Iceland yeah, yeah, right. kept Paul. That's why Paul had to take a second six hundred dollar cab ride to Florida to Florida because McGill was McGill didn't, an Icelandic didn't volcano. It's flight was McGill versus delayed. volcano. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wow. But but wow. at one point I was down there and. Um, you know, it was difficult to be filming Jerry and it was difficult to be around him sometimes. And very often in the shooting, I'd want to just like get the hell out of there. Yeah. So, David Leonard and I, David was the sh- shooter who was with me, we were down there together at one point and we finished what we were doing. We went into, they were living in a Motel Six. We went in to say goodbye and we went in to say goodbye. There's, Jerry and his sidekick Paul Clements Mm -hmm. and two young people they'd met in the hotel and they were hanging out on the bed and they were playing guitar and it was like and and I didn't stop I just said bye and left and we were on the outskirts of town I was like man we should go back because we need to shoot we need to show that this party doesn't stop we're leaving but but that vacuum is filled immediately by Jerry can always Find the people, and we didn't go back, and I kind of wish we had. Yes. But it didn't impinge on the movie's sure. story. But that's sure. something I, I regret. Yeah, that there was this continuum. I mean, did, did he?
0: Did he just kind of? Did, did he see his life that way? That you know, just kind of next. You know, whatever happens to... I do this and then next? what What's going to happen I think he lived next? in the moment. He was yeah. just
1: constantly in... Which is a very attractive quality in in, in, yeah. in some ways. You know, he was always in the moment and he didn't really think about the future or, or that much about the past, I think. Yeah.
2: But at the same yeah. time, he knew he was sick mm-hmm. and he was making plans for uh, his demise, should it occur, right. which it ultimately did. And that was to take care of people he loved. Yeah. and And so he, you know... While he lived in the moment, he didn't deny reality. Yeah.
0: All right, well, let's, let's see the, uh, the DVD again in the package. It's uh, very extremely dangerous, and these guys made a great film. I'll tell you, <laughs> I was, uh, I'm still uh, haunted by it. And uh, it's, it's something that, that lots of folks would like to see. It's, it's, a, it's a little missing piece or maybe just a frozen moment of Memphis music and who we are here in Memphis and uh, and uh, something that won't happen again, probably. I hope not. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, couldn't, really, I couldn't take that again. <laughs> I bet you could.
2: When Paul got in the car, we all went to have breakfast in Memphis, and, and they were going to go down to Huntsville to, uh, to, to to do a medical shoot we'd gone i'd gone down to do a medical shoot and been kicked out of the hospital with a camera so Mm -hmm. in the interim i'd made all kinds of arrangements right and and the what turned out to be the final shoot we have this mexican breakfast outstanding on summer avenue Mm -hmm. then we're we're going out to the parking lot and jerry gets in to drive the car which was a real shock because jerry joyce had always done the driving Mm -hmm. and Paul got in the back seat and I was like, you know, you know, I
1: had previously said, if Jerry ever decided to drive, I wasn't going to get in the car with him, but he did. And I did, you know, yeah. and that was the last time I ever got in the car <laughs> uh-huh. next the car I got into was going back to Memphis. So I could go home to Dublin.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I saw, I saw when you shot the, uh, the speedometer and it was 90 miles an hour yeah. Yeah. And, and they were arguing, <laughs> I thought, uh, yeah. this is not going to end well. <laughs> um, well, this it's it's a great story, and, and I can't wait to hear the to hear the CD and the soundtrack. I, I, you guys have done a great job. i I'm, you know my hat is always off to people, who who will document these things because they're very important for us to know about who we are, and especially for people you know in fifty years to know who we were. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, these things these things really do kind of drive that stake in the ground and, and say this is what we were right at this time. So uh congratulations on this. I guess you're gonna be going around to lots of places and uh will this be available for download? Yep.
2: Okay. Fat Possum,
0: it's put out
1: by Fat Possum
0: Fat Possum Records. Records. Okay, so you can
1: just go dot com yep. right. Okay. Good. And uh, it'll be on Amazon. It should be in stores as well. Any reputable or decent uh, record emporium or movie emporium will be carrying very extremely dangerous.
0: Okay. Folks, uh, great story here. And uh, if if you get the chance, you want to see this, and I'm sure if you're watching this, and if you've stayed with us this long, you will want to buy this. So uh, my name is Willie Bearden, and I'm thanking you for watching Insight here on Diddy TV.